Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Fantastic. Wonderful. Well, we're continuing our uh, uh, retrospective series uh, covering messages that we have, I've preached um, uh, back in 2003 and 4 is the, is the main window of time that we're looking at. And what we're doing is we're going over some old messages that, that we preach which were foundational for that season so that we can grow, we can develop the church laying the same foundation stones again as we begin to expand and grow the house again for this new season and so what we're doing is we're we're going back over these messages but we're rewriting them for 2014 and we're rewriting them for the the context of which we're in uh which we're in today and um a few uh years ago i i spoke on a message called uh mr stupid how many people here would remember mr stupid there was a mr i i need a a sock to do Mr. Stupid, but I, I don't have a... Uh, no. <laughs> I would have to bleach my hand afterwards or something. And uh, so, um, Mr. Stupid is, uh, was, it was a message that I preached, which, which um, is about Mr. Stupid is a, little, uh, is a little man that sits on our, our shoulder and tells us to do stupid things, and they're completely unrelated to any essence of faith or, or anything that, you know, you have true faith, and then there's Mr. Stupid. And uh, I remember many years ago that we were, um, that Mr. Stupid, that I realized how stupid Mr. Stupid was when we were in a prayer meeting once and we were praying for a church building. It was back in 2000, uh, sorry, 1990. Six seven, and it was at the time when um, Asda were building their new Asda building uh, down at Garth D. And there was a um, where the Asda carpet. If you know down at Garth D, there's a the, the big Asda supermarket. Well, where the car park is now, that used to be a supermarket there. And they so they built behind it and then knocked down the supermarket. And and before they knocked it down, nobody kind of knew what they were doing. And so we had this fella in the church and, and he said, God's going to give us the Asda supermarket. And uh, we were about 20 people at most, you know. And, and it was like, that's a moment. I, yeah, stupid. And because uh, it wasn't faith. It was just stupid. It was Mr. Stupid declaring things which just weren't true. Uh, because as this was going to be knocked down, it was going to become a, um, you know, going to become a, a, a car park, and uh, which was already set uh, in stone. And there was, it was just, it was just stupid. So, I, I then spoke a message um, some years later, uh, or a few years later, back in sort of 2003, four on uh, faith steps and dumb jumps and, and faith steps is about walking the faith and so this morning I want to re- redo that message um, but in the context for 2014 it says in, in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 for we walk by faith and not by sight and you know the principle of this basically means is that we live our life navigating our way through circumstances by faith in God rather than the visual things that we're experiencing. So we walk by faith and not by sight is a declaration of how we take faith 
steps. And the principle of faith is that it is a step and not a dumb jump. And the, the critical point where we often fail in life and struggle to get to, to grips with faith and, and how to make it is that we, we don't know the difference between a step and a jump. You see, faith steps, and there are different types of steps. You know, when you're walking in life, most of the time you're just walking. A lot of people are getting these, uh, what do they call them, Ped- pedometers? Is that, is that what they're called? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we have to have those as well, just in case. And uh, we... <laughs> just a little alarm. And uh, so, moving on, we, we have these pedometers, which are steps, and that you put a... <laughs> You put a, a pedometer in your, and you, you measure the steps. And I think the target is to do about 10,000 steps a day. And um, so um, we were actually talking, and Miriam is clocking up 10,000 steps a day. Uh, but she walks from her home to the church and back again. And I'm thinking, flip, I drive. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to find my 10,000 steps. And, uh, but, you know, so in life, we, we, we take steps, you know, we take steps, but sometimes the steps have to be bigger. And so it is in life that we walk by faith, and so the, walk, the faith walk is a walk of steps, but sometimes it is a walk of giant steps. Sometimes we have to take steps which are bigger than the normal steps that we would have to take, just like it would be that if you had to run to catch a bus, if you had to run uh, to catch a hold of someone, sometimes you just got to hurry. Those steps have got to become bigger. So it is in our faith walk that we walk by faith. In other words, we're navigating through life, we're navigating through the circumstances and situations, and we're not measuring them by natural circumstances. We're not measuring them by natural law, but we are navigating them by the promises of God that rest upon our life. And so we have to learn how do we take faith steps. And, and this, is the, this is where we enter into the great unknown, because, because when it comes down to it, most of us don't have any great issue to believe God for something unique every day. I mean every day. Most, most days, most normal days, get up in the morning, have some breakfast, go to work. You can wash, shower and get dressed if you like. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can do all the other things, but, you know, I leave you to fill in the gaps. You know, you, you, you go to work and you navigate the tricky boss, you... Um, the, the long queue at the coffee shop at lunchtime. The, you know, it's just normal stuff. It's just normal stuff. And normal stuff in life. And, and we have, but in all of that, in the normal stuff, Jesus Christ is there. You wake up in the morning and you speak to Him. In the normal stuff, you, you wake up and you, you read the Word of God. You take the Word of God with you. The, the beauty of having the Bible on your mobile phone or on your, on, your, on your iPad is the fact that you can access the Word anywhere you are, any time you like. Um, you don't know, I used, when I used to travel in ministry, um, it, the, there was always a weight issue with my bag. Not, you know... Uh, not from terms of weight, just sheer lugging around my Bible. And uh, what I discovered, I used to try, and there was a long time that I was getting smaller and thinner Bibles so that I could travel 
when I, the weight of the Bible is not going to you know just break your shoulder on your, when you're carrying stuff and and uh, but then I discovered that it, they would get smaller and thinner until I discovered that she now had to get bigger with bigger print and. Uh, <laughs> So the Bibles are getting bigger again. They're getting bigger and bigger. And, and then the iPad came along. Oh, Jesus, you saved my life. <laughs> and, uh, and I no longer have to carry uh, a, a Bible. Uh, I now have probably about 50 Bibles and, uh, and various uh, commentaries and everything all with me. And uh, so the, the beauty of being able to live my life in faith, I live my life in faith toward Christ every day, but without the specific and unique challenges. The challenge we really have is how we deal with those suddenlies, those sudden moments that come upon our life when we weren't expecting them. You see, it's one thing to believe in Jesus every day. It's quite another to believe your son or your daughter is going to get healed, that cancer is going to leave your body or leave your family, that the poverty that you've, that's, that's uh, encroached upon you has got to the point of crisis when you can no longer deal with it. When, you, when you've got the bailiffs knocking on your door saying, um, we're going to take away your possessions, when, when um, you've got crisis in your family and you don't know how to resolve it, so Suddenly, a different kind of faith has to kick in. And you see, we go from a faith walk to some huge steps. And and this is the critical point. This is a point that that I've discovered that that as as we walk in Christ and as we walk by faith, how do you make those steps? I've seen many people um, struggle and, and I've heard many people fall into a, a pit of despair when they've been living their life every day. Thank you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus. Worship you, Jesus. Point of crisis comes and suddenly they're like, oh, we believe in God and they're declaring. But, but what they believe God for doesn't seem to, to come around. They, they don't kind of get to grips with it. And in the end, what they declared they were believing for doesn't come about, come about and then their, their point, they hit that critical point where they no longer know how to believe anymore. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about. And so you're, you're at this point, and, and so because no, no true believer can, can ever declare that God has let them down. <laughs> I mean, you, you can feel like he has, but you can't say that because that's impossible. Because if he had, he would no longer be God. If he had let you down, he would have fallen off his own throne. And he would no longer be God because he is a word. He is a a God according to his word, according to his promises. I, I, I just throw this in for free. It's one of the critical things, important things about marriage. That marriage is a reflection of husband and wife is like a reflection. It's the same as the covenant between church. And, and Christ. And Christ has made a covenant to the church which cannot be broken. And, and church exists, church exists because of the promises that we can bank. We can bank those promises. Our life is true. And so that's one of the reasons why God hates the failure of marriage because um, because. It was made on a promise and it is a, it is a mirror image of how God has made promises. And, and not only can we bank them, if God didn't keep those promises, if he wasn't true to his word, then he wouldn't be God anymore. 
And so everything hinges in faith on the bankable truth that God is always true. So, what do we now do? If we can't blame God, we have to either blame somebody else or ourselves. <laughs> and that puts you even to even more of a crisis, because then how do you then deal with that? How do, you, how do you walk that walk of faith? How do you, how do you get through that point of crisis? How do you journey that, that walk when, when you are struggling to get to grips with, with the enormity of the situation? When all you've been used to is these tiny steps every day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Go with me, will you, to um, 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to speak about David. And I want to speak about these, these giant steps. See, David, this is the story of David and Goliath. Would there be anybody that's never heard of David and Goliath? <laughs> There are some stories. I know there are many people. I, I've been speak, we were speaking about some of the heroes of faith in a previous series. Uh, and some of them we spoke about Onesimus, who's in the, the New Testament. But many people, I've never heard of Onesimus. Yeah, he's in the Bible. And, and, uh, and then there were so many people who were talking about, yeah, we've never heard of him. Really? And it's, so it's quite amazing how, you know, we, we can miss characters in, in the Bible. But I reckon that there are certain characters that virtually the whole world know about. David and Goliath uh, would be one of them. Um, Noah and the ark, that would be one of the others, wouldn't it? And, and, um, but David, at this critical point in his life, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 31, it says this. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, this is uh, verse 31. So let me just give you a, a recap here. David has heard that Goliath is taunting the armies of Israel uh, and he's also heard that no one really wants to go out and fight. He's also heard that if you go and fight Goliath and kill him, you get um, uh, Saul's daughter, which is so, you know, he's a young man with hormones and uh, he's like, ding, 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 let's go do this. And uh, so, so, 1 Samuel 17, verse 31 says, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they were reported them, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and a man, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, struck it, and delivered the lamb from his mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled, uh, defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now let's get, the, let's get the picture, the real picture in the middle of this epic drama that's unfolding with David and Saul. David, number one, was the despised son, youngest son of Jesse. We always say Jesse, David, David, son of Jesse. But... The relationship between Jesse and David 
is questionable at best. When Samuel had gone looking to anoint a man to be king, Jesse had all but denied he had another son. And it was only upon further questioning, having, anoint, having looked at seven sons, that he was like, oh yeah, yeah, there is another one. If, yeah, yeah, David, he's out with the sheep. That's David. The boy, the, the, the boy with a father who wasn't even prepared to accept that he was part of his household. Here is a boy, a young man, who is despised not only by his father because he's the, uh, the son of a concubine, but also because uh, his brothers um, also who are, uh, he's got seven brothers, and they're all kind of, you know, in line of inheritance, right? If David was to inherit anything, what would he get? I mean, what, what's left over? You've got, seven, you've got seven bigger, strong, tough, great-looking guys who, in the eyes of a great prophet, thought they looked amazing. So you've got these tall, strapping young men, and then you've got David. And so David comes from a place of being despised. And, you know, we've got to understand that there are many issues in our life where we feel disadvantaged. You know, and I've had many people, you, you speak to, I've been in the counseling rooms, encouraging people to find and pursue the journey of faith and take the steps of faith, but they will always list with me their reasons why they can't and their natural disadvantage process, the situations from which they have come from. I, you've got to understand that there is not a personal situation that you are in that disadvantages you from walking and living by faith. Faith counsels out every single natural situation that you're facing right now. It places you on equal footing with any person. If you're a business person and you have no money, it places you on equal footing with multimillionaires when it comes to living the life of faith and pursuing the things which God has called you to do. You could say, I can't do it. If I were a millionaire, I could do this. If I had lots of investment, I could do that. And, and, but you see, faith takes you away from the insignificant and from the despised. And it places you where you can walk with God. And so we use it as an excuse because we, we feel like we, we are disadvantaged. But that's called, it's called having an umbrella of faith but living by sight. He's saying, I believe in Jesus, but actually what I'm doing is I'm measuring the natural. I take a faith step. How do I do the miraculous? How do I, how do I deal with the crisis point in my life? You've got to learn to look at life naturally, look at life supernaturally rather than naturally. Amen? All right, the second thing about David is that he was anointed king, but not living as king. See, David. here is David... <coughs> He's been pulled from the sheepfold. The prophet Samuel, who is an, an abs I mean, he's the judge who runs, um, runs uh, Israel. He's a phenomenal man of God, the greatest man of God upon the planet. He pulls out this shepherd boy in front of his seething brothers and confused father. He anoints him and pours oil over his head and declares he's going to be king. And then he nicks off. <laughs> 
Do you know, I, I, I want you to understand, if you ever come to church and you're ever in, the, you're ever in church and you may be, maybe some, you have this epic moment where, where you can receive this incredible prophecy and maybe someone, a man of God, prophesies, thus saith the Lord, James. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you get a word from God. It's whoa. It's a, everyone comes, what a word. James is going to be king. And, uh, <laughs> and suddenly, <laughs> King James. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got a ring, hasn't it? It has. It's got a, yeah. <laughs> and, and so here we have this, uh, this, this great prophecy. And then the prophet walks off. And then the pastor comes along and says, James, yeah, can you pack the chairs, please? Yeah, but what about the prophecy? Yeah, good word. Pack the chairs, please. <laughs> and others, see, that's exactly what happened to David. He came in and said, and Samuel, I say to the Lord, you're going to be king. He nicks off. Dad goes, yeah, by the way, boy, the sheep still need looking after. Back out there. <laughs> And so it's amazing how you see there is a prophetic words, there are words of promises, there are dreams which settle within your heart. There are things which you hope for but you're not living in. Yeah. And when you're not living in them and you can't see how they're going to come about, you can't see how they come about because it is almost impossible to calculate the work of play that is going on in your life that God has to fix to get you into the place where he wants you to be. And one of the things that we spend our whole life trying to do is calculate if this person talks to that person, they come over there and maybe this will work out. And we're rubbish at it. It's like playing chess, but we can only guess four or five moves ahead. And we're only guessing, but God knows every step of your life and every step of every other person's life. Let's think about this. Cheryl and I came to Scotland in 1995. Many of you were living in Scotland in 1995. In 1995, many of you, other people, were living in other parts of the world. 1995, you were in Africa, you were in Asia, you were in Eastern Europe, you were in all over parts of the world and none of us knew each other. But God ordained a day that we would sit together and praise his name. And we would stand in agreement together and turn and encourage one another. God ordained a day. He's ordained your flights. He's He's created pathways and choices for you to make that you might stand and walk together to have this incredible journey. See, See, God can do that, but you can't work it out in your head. And when you try and work it out in your head, you get discouraged because you can't see how the circumstances can change. And so what happens here is David, he's got a, he's disadvantaged. He's got this, this crisis point because he's been anointed king. But, but not only is he not living as king, the best he can manage is, is occasional um, personal worship singer to King Saul. The third thing is he's gifted in worship and he's serving the king but he's still so despised by the family that he's still expected to return and take care of the sheep. So, so he's been pulled from the sheep pen because he's so good with his musical, musical gifts and he, he's been taken um, to, the, he's been taken to the, um, the, the, the king's presence and he's playing his harp 
and he's, he's playing this music and it, it calms the, the, the troubled soul of Saul. And so here he is playing and then when his, when his time of playing is over, it's like, yeah, message from your dad. Um, the sheep have gone wild. They need you to go back. They need you to go and feed them. They need you to go and take care of them. So he's got seven brothers, but no, none available. David has to go back. And in all of that, you see, I'm, many people get, it's like, but there's this gift on my life. And, and they start concentrating rather on themselves rather than the purpose of what God has called you to do. See, it's not about you. It's about what you do. Jesus comes and he speaks in, in the end of Matthew. And, and, and the whole, at the end, of, the end of time, God would judge us on what we did. Really based on what we did and didn't do. Did you not feed the hungry? Did you visit those who were shut in jail? Did you, did you come to me and sit at my right side, he says. In other words, based on what you did, based on your faith step of what you did, not whether you thought you were good, not whether you, 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 you developed any sort of personal sense of, of victimization, and uh, this is not fair for me, it's just, you just did it. And the kingdom of God, to take a faith step, is to take a faith step, is to just go out and do it. And this is what amazes me, is the people who are prepared to just go out and do it. And David, he comes out and he says to Saul, this is a critical point, he says to Saul, I'm going to take this Philistine and I'm going to kill him. And Saul says, but you can't. And David says, but I've already killed the lion. And I've already killed the bear. You see, to take, to deal with that crisis point, you've already got to have learned how to fight battles along the way. And you wonder why you go through hard trials. God is teaching you how to fight lions and bears. He's teaching you how to, like, that's called faith steps. A faith step is learning how to fight the lion and the bear. You're complaining because God gave you a job and then when you got the job, your boss was vile. And God's going, yeah, I know, I prepared him for you. (laughs) (laughs) Specially wrapped. And people are going, I thought it was God. Oh, it was. (laughs) All of it. He thought that person, they're just going to irritate you so bad. What was he doing? He was teaching you how to fight the lion. He was teaching you how to withstand and how to, how to avoid the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. Because one day, in all of our lives, we will face Goliaths. And they're not like the irritable boss. No, they're life-changing moments which define our life, which determine how we live from now on in. They are crisis points when we have to stand. How do you take a faith step when you haven't of that magnitude, when you've barely taken baby steps 
out of the out of the out of the, the your arms of your parent. It's time to take a faith journey and walk steps of faith. To walk steps of faith, you've got to see every day. Every day you've got to look at the circumstances and the challenges that surround your life and you've got to see it. This is, a, this is my opportunity to see that God is teaching me to walk by faith and not by sight. To win in this circumstances and this situation. To not be overwhelmed by the boss who's vile to be. To not, to not be defeated by the financial crisis I find myself in. Why? Because one day God's going to call me to do something epic and to rise up against something that has risen up against me. How do you, how do you defeat sickness and how do you defeat those things that come out against you if you ever yet to fight a lion or a bear? Perhaps many of the men who are surrounding Surround many of the men who were surrounding um, David had never killed a lion or a bear. Let me tell you something. You know, um, in uh, in Africa they would have uh, the traditional tribes would uh, tribesmen the, the, the great hunters who could hunt a lion. The great hunters who could hunt a lion, and the, the, in, in the ancient days they would hunt a lion. You're talking about an epic warrior. I mean, it's not just any man who can hunt a lion. But David, I mean, it's not like he got a gun. Oh, here we go. Kaboom. <laughs> he had to use the skill and the, and the, uh, and the swiftness and training of foot to understand the, the actions of a lion and know how to avoid how it's going to act, what he's going to do, and take down the lion. But see, see what happens is when Goliath comes along, see, the, Goliath, he would have killed lions and bears too, mark my words. He, would have, you know, he, he wasn't just, he wasn't just you know, a big man. He was a man who killed. And not only that, he had a brain too. Whereas the lion and the bear would always act in a set way. But this man was different. He had a brain. But David had already prepared himself for that occasion because he had taken steps of faith. He'd already taken steps. He'd already walked by faith. He'd already discovered that God is with him every single day. And you see, when, what happens is that when you rise up in faith... You've got to learn how to walk by that faith. And you've got to learn to walk in that place where God teaches you to take each day and see the challenge knowing that one day you will have an epic day when the challenge of faith is placed upon you. Maybe you've already had that epic day and maybe another one will come. David Goliath wasn't the last battle that David fought. He had a lot more epic battles. Even greater he had to deal with after Goliath. Goliath was a beginning, not an end. But he had learnt to do them step by step because he had prepared himself in the walk of faith. And you know, here we are, giving our lives to Christ, worshipping Jesus. And we want our lives to be comfortable. And we want our lives to be sweet. And we want our lives to be comfort. Just to have that place of... We don't want trouble. Who wants trouble? Nobody wants trouble. We want comfort. But God wants us to overcome trouble so that we can bring comfort. Comfort isn't a right that you can just claim. Comfort is a ministry that comes by the Holy Spirit that soothes the heart and soothes the soul 
It is something which people of faith can bring into the house and bring people into a place of peace, a place of tranquility. And so it is that we have to come into this place where we learn to take each day, see the challenge and rise to it. See the lion and rise up to kill it. See the bear and rise up to kill it. And when we do that, when we rise up and do that, what happens is that we are being prepared to take down our Goliath. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.